Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. It came from lived experience. And I said, look, I really enjoyed the Army. And when I left, I was lost. And I thought... I'm not the only one. No. And I said, there's got to be so more, many of my mates. And, of course, you know, we've got the uh, Are You OK Day once a year, and we get the posts on Facebook saying, check on a mate, et cetera, et cetera. And I started to think, you know what, with the advancements of technology, there has to be something that we can do regardless of where you're situated in Australia, and that's to provide some level of support. Mm. G'day gang, I'm your host Bram Connolly and this then is the different sounding Warrior U podcast for the week. I have some epic new sound effects and music for the next few weeks shows. Thanks to my main sponsors Aussie Strength and Ironside Coffee. So only yesterday, which was Saturday 12th of October, Elliot Kipchoge stormed into the history books by running a sub two-hour marathon in Vienna, Austria. Elliot is 34 years old, by the way. While it isn't an official or officially recognized marathon world record because it was not in open competition and he used a team of uh, pacemakers, it does prove that the human body can go that fast. So human optimization is one of the three pillars of this show as well as leadership and resilience. And I think this is a great example of optimization. Much of the achievements of athletes in modern times is a result of advanced training techniques, nutrition, and of course, genetics. Some of my podcasts in the next few months are with scientists and athletes who are exploring the limits of human speed and endurance. So stay tuned for that. What an amazing achievement, Elliot Kipchoge. Just incredible. Well, It's just under eight weeks now before the Warrior U podcast is going to be held in Sydney. I think we have settled on a venue in the city and there's been a steady stream of tickets being sold. We're expecting the show to sell out because the interest in it has been just incredible, to be honest. Just a reminder that the event is being held on the evening of the 6th of December in the Sydney CBD and tickets are $65. The show will be around two hours and the topics are being decided this next few weeks. And we're playing with the idea of starting with a conversation around resilience, rolling into how to become mentally tougher, and then having a panel discussion about optimising your life and also optimising your training. Tickets are available at www.events.warrioru.com.au. Now, Hang on for two more minutes while I thank my incredible sponsors, Ironside Coffee, Aussie Strength, Sword Australia, and Skilled Athlete. Speaking of Skilled Athlete, I'm working with them now to get the Warrior U t-shirts back in stock. Check out the Skilled Athlete website for their availability. And a reminder that Ironside Coffee is supporting the Jocko Willink Echelon Front Muster in December on the 4th and 5th. And then they're sticking around to also support the Warrior U live podcast on the 6th. If you haven't already listened to the podcast, uh, the one I recorded with the founder of Ironside Coffee, that was last week's show, episode 70. So go and have a listen to that. Uh, What else can I tell you? It's all all happening pretty much. Got a great guest today. Um, uh, We're going to be talking to Michael Handley from the Red Six app. And that's about it. Righto. Let's get into the show. Michael Handley. Bram Conley, welcome, how are you going? Welcome to the Warrior U podcast. Are you a podcast newbie or is this uh, is this old hat to you? No, mate, I'm a newbie. I listen to them and I enjoy them. Obviously, yours and the um, a couple uh, overseas, but I've never done one myself. I've, I've always been nervous. All right, no worries. It's too easy. I'll walk you through it. First of all, um, tell me a little bit about your background, about your military service. 
Okay, so I served, basically I joined the military in 1991. Oh, what month? March. Okay, I was February, Jube. You were? Yeah. <laughs> and, and you went straight to 1RER? I did. did you go to, and what happened? Did you go to Somalia? I did. You did, did you? Yep. Oh, okay. I was in uh, BHQ. Okay. In, in still. All right. So uh, I, what happened to me was pretty much when I went through Kapuka, they had about 40 spots for infantry. They had four for transport, about two for in- engineers. And um, we had this grumpy sergeant. I remember uh, Sergeant Wilson, and he scared the Christ out of everyone there. I know him. And some bloke pulled me up and said, "Mate, you should you should go for transport because you're a little bit bigger and you won't be able. To, you haven't got the endurance to, to handle infantry." And I went, "You're spot on." So I ended up fighting my, my ass off to get into into the transport corps. And as soon as I hit Townsville, I got attached to one uh, hour. We went over to Bindoon Training Grounds for a couple of months to do a bit of exercise with the U.S. Marines. Yep. And then I came back and they tried to promote me. And I said, look, I've only been in the unit for, for 12 months. I said, I don't have the, um, the expertise and knowledge to, to become a leader just yet. And there's more senior guys in that area. So let, let's look at them and, and, and I'll approach me you know, in a year's time. So within, a, within that time frame, Op Solis uh, popped up. And they took 18 guys from our squadron. Wow. And um, it was, as you, as you remember, it's, uh, it was over the Christmas period. Yeah. And I had just gone to the great death credit and got myself a loan to buy a moped and head down to Airlie Beach for a, a, a wonderful Christmas. Of course you did. And as I, was, as I was packing up in the morning, I got a knock on the front door back in the, um, on base at Townsville. And it was uh, the two I see wants to see you. So I, I was in my civilians, you know, unshaven, hung over from the North Pole, rocked in. He said, mate, listen, one RAR have asked for, for two drivers. And they said, mate, you're aware that the stigma behind infantry and non-combat roles in the military. So it, it's going to be a, a challenge. And I said, mate, let's do it. Challenge accepted. So I walked into one RAR and straight away they told me to take off my puggeree and put on the, uh, the, the regiment's uh, puggeree, which was, was fine. And when we were sitting in transport platoon, they said, we need a driver to go to intelligence. And I looked around. I thought, look, I won't, I won't put my hand up just yet because there might be some boys here that actually uh, that want to do this. No one volunteered. So I put my hand up. And next thing, I'm, I'm in chain headquarters uh, in intelligence and, and on my way to, to, to Somalia with the boys. How did you go over there? Did you go over on, on, on the, the ship? Plane, yeah. On the yeah, plane, yeah. we went on the plane. Okay. Yeah. I was in the advance party, the first... First lot of C one thirties that went in there. We went we went up through Diego Garcia for a few days. That was pretty cool, and then and yep. then landed at Mogadishu. Yeah, well, we stopped at Diego Garcia, and I remember one of the funny stories again. One of those things about the Australians and our, and our great larrikinism that we, we have. They had a, a board there which had all the um, I suppose list of all the uh, the staff, and um, I ended up changing all the all the names to things like David Softcock and Glenn, you know, um, Big Knob. <laughs> and at the end of it, they walked over and they just said, you bloody Aussies, you know. Said, you're always the same. So we sort of, you know, we're on our way and we're, we're all happy. And obviously, yeah, we hit, hit Mogadishu and, uh, and obviously when our plane landed, we were, we were fired upon from, from the get-go and all our rifles were still in the back of the plane. Yeah. So you can imagine you know, a couple of hundred blokes there shit themselves. We didn't know what to do. We're all looking for direction. And it was just, uh, as you're aware, what Mogadishu was like. Um, but, mate, it was probably, for me, one of the best things because I, being in transport and having that, you know, oh, you're a pogue, I spent more time uh, attached to one RAR, two, four back in those days, and three, and that's where I met old Reese. Oh, Reese, you're the patron saint of common me. sense. <laughs> mate, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a funny story about him down the track. Good bloke. So the thing with Somalia for me was that it was the event that made me crave being deployed, you know, just 100%. packing all your stuff in a trunk, holding it all up, you know, being accountable just for that little patch and then going over there and, and doing the job and there was no other distractions. It was amazing. What's your main memory from over in Somalia? Oh, God, I've got, I got, I got plenty. You remember when the, uh, the, the mess burned down? Oh, mate, wait till you see this. <laughs> kitchen burned down. So yeah, that's yeah. the first thing I wrote on a piece of paper when we started talking about Somalia. The kitchen burnt so down. I, I've never been so angry in my frigging life, man. <laughs> Do you remember when we first got steaks? Yeah. And we're all sitting around eating these steaks and someone just made a, a, a slight comment that there's no steaks in Somalia. And obviously we'd been patrolling around through the markets and you saw pieces of camel, packed up camel on a hook. And someone said, it's probably camel. 
And I swear about 50 blokes vomited that steak back up and put it in the bin. And uh, one of the, the guys there, uh, Philip McMillan, he was the, the unit photographer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember. And, and Desi, um, when he heard that the, the kitchen had, had burnt down, he started racing down and we all made these, you know, funny jokes about Des was going to try and hoard some food that, in case he, he was uh, starving. But, um, yeah, mate, it was that was one of the, the main, the funny things uh, that we happened. And obviously, you know, um, a, a lot of the patrols that we were engaged in. And for me, you know, being accepted into the, into the battalion it was quite quite good because no one actually knew that I was, was from RACT. They all thought I was part of one. Yeah. And it wasn't until later on towards the end of it that there was mention of it. And they said, no, that can't be right. And I said, yeah, unfortunately, guys, um, yeah, um, I'm RACT. And they so went, all right, you can go back now, you bastard. You've had enough so of you had a So you had a coming out parade, were you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the guys, um, they presented me with an ICB at the end of it. Mm. They said, you know what, obviously we're aware you can't wear it and, and you're aware. I said, yeah, I understand that. He said, but that's just recognition from us because you didn't do anything different to us. Mm. You know, you, you, you controlled with us. You did everything we did. The only other thing you had was a vehicle to look after. So, you know, um, you know, well done. And, and, and I, it was the best of times for me. And, and like you said, it was, you started getting that feeling for um, deployment. So, you know, I got a second deployment afterwards, which, which was good, but mm. it, it, it was still short-lived. It was only a really quick one. As a non-infantry guy, getting an ICB from 1st Battalion in 1993, mate, that is progressive if you think about it. Mate, I cried. That's unusual. I've only yeah. cried three times in my life, and that was the, the birth of my both my daughters, and then when the blokes handed me that, that yeah. was it, it just meant, it meant the world. Hey, so you were a young fella cutting around the battalion headquarters while Lieutenant Colonel Hurley was running the show, now the Governor General. So that's, yeah. a, that's a pretty yeah. amazing, when you think about it, that's a pretty... I mean, what was he like in the headquarters? Oh, he was—he was fine. I actually um remember the old DC comics we used to get, which you could fit in your map pocket. Yeah. I happened to come across one of those uh, in Somalia. I think someone just left it lying around. Mm. And at night time, I'd put um, masking tape over the bubble captions, and I'd rewrite stories to do with, especially you know Hurley. So Hurley was involved in smuggling alcohol and strippers in, into Somalia. And every few nights, he'd come past. He'd say, Casper have you done any more work on that comic? And I'd say, no, sir. And he'd go, well, I want three pages before I go to bed. And, of course, because his, his uh, room was across from the main headquarters and, and the int cell, I could hear him in there chuckling. And I thought, oh, this is great, you know. Um, the Australian War Memorial approached me about it, but uh, they wanted to put it in, in the museum. But I said, look, there's a lot of square words in there, which I, I thought, look, it may not be appropriate. Mm. But, no, I had a good, I had a good time. I, I, if I would have gone back straight away, you know. I, the, yeah. the blokes there, you know, it's just good, good, good experience, especially for for someone who's supposed to be a, a non-combat in a non-combat role. Yeah, he was a good leader. He was a really good leader. Even now, I look back on it and go, you know, that that's probably the benchmark for leadership. It's the same with Vince Cray, who's my platoon commander. He was a good leader as well. All right, that's that's Somalia. Done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and then, then I went to Bougainville for uh, eighteen days, which was more of just a. We tried to provide. This is back in nineteen ninety four with the mm. South Pacific Peacekeeping Force, mm. and things didn't obviously turn out to how they expected. So, um, mm. you know, they said that we had too many Australians on the ground because we had the Vanuatu's, the Tongans, mm. the New Zealand Defence Force, Fiji's, and that. And basically, they said, "Look, too many white men on the ground, and no one wanted to leave because obviously, you know, when you're deployed, there's an opportunity to to possibly get a campaign medal, and they said, look, we'll put all the names in the hat and if your name gets called out, you'll go in that order. So my best mate, he was a family man. At that stage, and I was young, single, uh, he had two or three kids and he was a, a 20-year military man and been nowhere. And, and I said to Carlos, I said, mate, look, if your name gets pulled out of the hat, I'll take your spot. And that, as it was, his name was the first name that Buddy got called out. So I went back onto the Trabook and spent five days in the air conditioning and, um, and by that stage, the whole operation had, had folded and, away, and we went back to Australia. Yeah. And where to after that? Pretty much then due to the fact that uh, myself and another mate of mine, Pete Masters, so we were we were the two two guys who went from the Royal Australian Corps of Transport to Infantry. We got sent around to do a bit of training. I remember getting flown down to Puckapunyal to instruct on driver's courses to let the younger blokes know about what happens in operations. And then I went through the career progression, Lance Jack, and then acting, uh, acting corporal and then... Um, at that stage, I started to unbit to me show some signs, symptoms of being under a, a bit of stress, PTSD, and uh, I got a nice posting to Cronungra on the Gold Coast. Yeah, where I eventually decided that that you know when you go into a domestic side of the military, it's very very boring, and 
and you do like one day field per year. And I, and I just couldn't take it serious. I wanted to go back to field force, back mm. up to Townsville or Darwin. And um, I just, you know, decided that was enough for me. I, I needed to get out and, and, and see what I could do in, in, in the civilian world. Yeah, what year was that? 98, uh, December 97, January 98, I got out. So do you think the PTSD was related to Somalia? 100%, yeah. yeah. Mm. For, for me, it was, you know, the things, um, a lot of stuff that we saw, and, and obviously, you know, you're aware of it too, I, I probably wasn't trained up as to be expected to, to handle those type of things. So, you know, I had um, a young child that was presented to me with, with the Somalian locals that had picked up some of the unexploded ordnance that was lying around and, and it, it tore a big hole inside of her stomach. And we pulled out the field dressing. And I remember it was me and the RSM there. I think it was we had Chamberlain and then Sales. Yeah. From memory. Yeah. And um, I'm looking at the RSM for a bit of support because this field dressing and the hole on the body was, was just too big. And what I noticed was um, she wasn't bleeding. There was no blood whatsoever. And I could see all her vital organs inside the body. Yeah. And the heartbeat was beating probably once every 30 seconds. It was, you know, I was probably in shock. Yeah. And Scott explained to me later on that obviously um, her body had gone into survival mode knowing that there was no support around. And um, mm. what had happened down the track was we were doing a cordon search on a village and we flagged down a, a local um, villager in a, in a vehicle to take the, the, the young girl to hospital. Yeah. And I remember after we did the raid on the village and we came back, I saw the sarong and the body thrown at the side of the road, probably, you know, a, a K away from where we were. Yeah. Mm. And it, just, it was just something that stuck with me, you know, could mm. I have done something different? Mm. And, and again, as you're aware, you know, like I'm under control of, of the battalion and, and whoever was running that operation. So mm. I couldn't just split and take her to hospital. I had to rely upon whatever resources that we had there. Mm. And I think that, you know, I probably held that myself responsible for not doing more. Yeah. How old were you? 19. Yeah, man. Mm, tough. I look at photos of myself at 19 and I look at the photos of myself in Somalia. Maybe I'll post a couple on Instagram next couple of days for people to look at. And I'm like, holy shit, I would not let that kid out of the bloody house for a carton of milk, let alone carry a rifle in Somalia and protect, you know, the, as a Ford scout yeah. of a section. But, you know, the advantage that I had over, over you was that in infantry we start being, you know, almost neuro-linguistically programmed in some regards for combat, I guess, and I went over yep. there fully prepared to thinking that I was going to go over there and be in combat, which obviously wasn't necessarily the case in for most of it and then very quickly you know I was, I was really lucky to have a great platoon commander and a great section commander who you know when we realized that we were being presented with all these starving kids and these these people who were dying is that we went through these sort of visualization things of what that looks like you know what we would have to do almost like actions on them happening so that yep. we became you know psychologically prepared for it which is which is what I talk about a lot with regard to yeah, I talk about it a lot with regards to, you know, putting armour on people's minds for PTSD uh, because if you, if you have a frame of reference, if you, if you have some sort of an understanding and a structure around what it is you're about to see, you know, as long as – because one of the things with PTSD is that people think that it's um, – that you have to be in danger yourself, you know, yep. you, you know, whereas actually what it can be from, from my experience is – something has happened and you haven't been able to intervene or you haven't been able to, to do something about it and that affects you. And I think that, you know, because of the whole shell shock from World War One, World War Two, and then what how that carried over through Vietnam and, you know, people being overrun and, and these, these things where people are, they're exposed to these life-threatening events, that that is what we call or what we attribute PTSD to being about but actually there's there's also other sorts of trauma which are in the same sort of you know area yeah 100%. yeah and I mean you can recover from that as you know you know you can recover yeah, from yeah, that yeah. And, it, and it takes time and it's like you know it takes time and it takes conversations and it takes being vulnerable and empathy and you know and being a little bit softer on yourself too a lot of people are really hard on themselves you know but this has taken you down a, a special path hasn't it of, yeah. of, of fame or ruin? We're not sure yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you're, you're right. It's either either at the moment, but no, it's, um, you know, as you could imagine, and like yourself, Bram, um, I, I had a really great military experience. You know, mm. my I would be a, a great PR face for, for people to, you know, as a recruiter because I was one of those lucky blokes that joined 
went in and I was a, I played sports a lot. So I played rugby union, a part of the, the three Basby team that I think beat one hour in 1994 or something like that. It was the first time probably in the history you guys had ever been beaten in the grand final. To be, um, to be fair, we were on leave when that yeah, happened. Yeah, I was probably right. You're, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> and to be fair, to be fair it, was, it was probably a really close game too. We probably just uh, laid down and, and got a free penalty no, towards the end. No, one one's, the game. no one's ever told you, but I'm going to tell you something, right? This is about the 90, 1994 three Basby, one RAR rugby match, right? Do you remember, you remember it because you guys won it. You played, yeah. our, you played our touch football team. Anyway, keep going, mate. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> I remember that uh, there's a bloke there, um, Blocker, I think his name was. He was an animal. And yeah. I remember bumping heads with him, and I, don't, I think I saw stars for about a week afterwards. Yeah. Well, he was good enough to be a Fijian national. Yeah, he was very Yeah, good. there you go. Yeah, that's right. There was another guy as well, Navasolo, who was also, you know, very, very good. <laughs> yeah. I got held back at Puckapunil to play in the grand final down there. In AFL, I've never even played AFL in my life. And they mm. just said, look, mate, we need your size on the team. And, and I sat on the sideline for a whole whole day and ended up flying back up to town until two days later. There you go. Yeah, so it was good. <laughs> yeah, so basically, um, yeah, it led me, as I was saying, Bram, I had a really good experience. And, and I made, obviously, you know, being attached to 1RAR, um, Kangaroo 92, I was attached to 3RAR and supported 2-4 continuously over the years when I was in Townsville. Uh, so I met a, a heap of people, you know, just mm. not just from France. So I, I loved what I did. And and when I got out, I, obviously, as we do, we lose our identity. I was dealing with, with signs and symptoms of PTSD, which I wasn't aware of. Mm. And it just happened to be that another mutual friend that, that came over one day and he was in a bad way and he stayed for a couple of weeks. And, and he just pulled me up one day and said, mate, you know, I've been diagnosed with PTSD. And he said, you are showing all the signs and symptoms of exactly what I'm doing. And I said, mate, I'm fine. You know, I'll just keep drinking and, and we'll be good. But it was the fact that when I met my, my wife, you know, she noticed it too. And this is the stage of my life where it was either I could go down the right path or could go down the wrong path. Mm. And I don't know what it was, but it was almost as if I saw myself as a second person and, and I could visualize the way I was going. And if I wanted to improve myself, I had to put my hand up and acknowledge that, okay, I'm a little bit broken. There's some things that aren't adding up. I'm sleeping. I'm sleeping during the days. Uh, I'm staying awake all night. Uh, this is affecting my performance at work. There was alcohol. There was drugs. There was the, the normal aggression. There was all those all those traits. So, I think she sat me down one day and said, "You know, if you really want to make a go of your life with me, we need to get you looked at." And to her credit, you know, and obviously, you know, to me wanting to stick around and, and finding, you know, the, the love and support of her, I, I, I listened and. And then I went through the path and processes of, of seeing a psychologist and the DVAs and, and everything. And, um, you know, it got recognized in 2005, but I was still working. You know, I thought, look, I'm not going to be able to provide for, for kids and things if I'm on a, on a pension. So I progressed and pushed it to the side. And it wasn't until, I guess, you know, later on down the track when it, it, it revisited. But having a, a good support base was the key for me, you know. And, yeah. and again, putting my hand up and admitting that there was something wrong. Yeah. One of the things that we live with, the fake face, you know, I'm all good, everything's fine, but really behind in the background, you're isolating yourself, you withdraw, withdrawing from your mates and friends and you're actually, you're pushing them away and they're trying to help. Yeah. And this is where the whole, where we'll get into Red Six, where this all came from. Mm. Yeah. There's some real good research on neuro-linguistic programming and um, I've been reading a lot about it lately and listening to the Rich Roll podcast, actually, and he talks a lot about it. I mean, he's very spiritual as well, and he's a little bit off of the fairies. Um, is he a vegan or a veg- vegetarian, which is sort of, you know, interesting in itself. But he talks a lot about – and he, he did a um, podcast last week with Zach Bush, I think it is, who's, um, you know, one of the smartest guys I've ever heard talk, if you can get away from the fact that he sounds like Ben Stiller. But anyway – no, not Ben Stiller. Who's the other guy? The, the guy with the blonde hair off of um, long blonde hair off of Zoolander. Oh, the big nose. Yeah, that guy he sounds just like him. I went for a run the other day and I'm listening to him talking about you know neuro linguistic programming. It's like actually listening to that guy and you're waiting for the punchline. But anyway, yeah. And he was talking about you know the story, your, your life story. Everyone's walking around with this life story that they're hanging on to and letting them define themselves, and yeah. rather than 
rather than just letting that shit go and being being in the present moment and moving forwards. But we always carry this story around with us. Like it, it could be an abusive father or it could be PTSD from Somalia or it could be, you know, it could be, you know, sexual assault or something like that. Really hard things to just let go of and not and not let define you. But also it's the thing that's holding you back from everything else. And, yeah. you know, listening to me say this isn't going to get people to stop that. But listening to me say this might get some people to go, oh, all right, neuro-linguistic programming might be an interesting way to have an intervention to be able to let go of that previous story to then go on to a, a new story. Yeah, mm. yeah, the only thing I'm worried about, and not so much with the Somalia and Cambodia, you know, veterans, you know, Afghanistan, Timor, all the like, but what I'm worried about is the individuals who go, I had a, I had a five-year military career and I haven't prepared myself for anything outside the ADF and I know what all the signs and symptoms are because I'm surrounded by people with it. I'm just going to go and milk the system now. And they, they yeah. purport this veteran victim mentality and they push it and they, and they push it. And I can name names if I have to. I don't give a shit, you know. And it absolutely drives me insane because the ADF has been really good to a lot of people, you know. And, and then, I mean, I didn't come away from it completely unscathed either, you know. But, but it's still a life story. And then you let go of it and you move on, you know, but then there's yeah. the people that are putting their hands out going, okay, get me a gold card. Do you know what I mean? Oh, mate, I deal with it all the time and it frustrates you, you know, because there are, you know, a lot of the guys who I speak to that were um, Afghanistan and, and Iraq, you know, obviously seen some of the heaviest fighting in the history of, of the Australian military. And those guys legitimately, um, you know, do have some injuries and illnesses, which they should be entitled to be covered by DVA. But, and then you get the other people that, as you were saying, they did the four years. They could have been, you know, a pay clerk and have seen a way of, of, of getting some funds for the rest of their lives. And they take advantage of it and they make it harder for those who are, who do have legitimate injuries and illnesses to, to, to make the claims. And, you know, it, it took me seven and a half months this year to get depression approved via Durka. And I had to fight and prove. And every time they, they sent the claim back, they kept saying, oh, you're... Um, claim for bipolar has been rejected. And I said, what claim for bipolar, mate? It says there depression due to this. What's the problem? And it wasn't until, you know, what the one of the mottos are that the squeakiest wheel gets the most oil. And it wasn't until I actually started to jump up and down and complain about it where they started to take notice of it. And I'm, that was just one thing. I, I know guys have got claims in for, you know, 10, 15 injuries. And again, you know, in infantry, and, and I... I see a lot of this with the infantry guys. They say, yeah, I'm fine. It's okay. We'll move on. But 10, 20 years down the track, you know, and I've been out since 98. So I'm the, I'm the guy who lies in bed with chronic pain in my ankles, uh, my knees, my lower back, and my shoulders. And again, you know, I wasn't uh, infantry. There's guys there who, that, like you that did this every day. And, and I, wonder, I wonder how the hell their bodies are still holding up. And if they can think, you know, 10 years down the track, how am I going to be? You know, it's worth even looking at getting a white card to sort of help with those conditions um, because I had a lot of out-of-pocket expenses. And again, when you're on a pension, you're not getting much money at all to cover those things. Yeah, no, it's a fair call. And I think that then you've got the people who are, like you say, they're, they're sort of milking it on the side and they and they, they clutter, they, they're cluttering, cluttering DVA from from being able to be efficient, being efficient, you know. It's like the, um, out in the western suburbs of Sydney, you know, they've got a high uh, unemployment rate. So a lot of the families are all on, on the dole. And they've got cultures and families. So, you know, your dad's dad was on unemployment benefits and mum was on the unemployment benefits. Their sister was on unemployment benefits. So they know how to rot the system. Yeah. And these little pockets of these people are gathering together to work out, you know, how to claim things. And I remember when I first got out, I had a Vietnam veteran say to me, you know, you've got a claim for smoking, alcohol. And I said, mate, I don't want to. Mm. I said, part of growing up, you know, I would have gone to nightclubs and smoked and drank anyway. I wonder I said, how many, I wonder how many other guys like you would say, yeah, they had a Vietnam veteran come up and say, hey, man, here's, here's how you milk it, because I had the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah isn't that interesting? And, I mean, you've got to go back, if you want to go back in history and look at that, who can blame them? Jesus, I mean, who can blame them for oh, understanding yeah. that after the reception they received when they came home? 100%, yeah. They, they got you know, spat on and, and called baby killers and mm. just uneducated people, mate. And that's what I deal with a lot with, with my app, you know, people that the naysayers that, aren't aware of, of what it does. Yeah. And, and I mean, the, the other thing too is we are a tribe. We are a group. 
we have a shared common. I mean, look at you and I. We don't. We have so many mutual friends, and we've walked some of the same areas. You know, in a, in an East African country, and we didn't even know it. Like we we are a tribe, and we should be looking after each other. And you know, and I legit, I hope that people. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. With legitimate issues, you know, are able to get help. And then my message to those that are thinking about just milking it, you know, I did 20 years in the army. I got out and I, did, I haven't put one claim in. My eyesight's going, my hearing's going, I'm 40 fucking five. <laughs> you know yeah. that's what happens yeah. it's called aging yeah don't turn a, a stellar career into something you know that defines you for the rest of your life that you're going to get a handout for but if there's a legitimate reason if there's a, a legitimate thing that's happened to you or an injury that's occurred you know then then you're more than entitled to be you know compensated and compensation is an interesting word in itself because compensation is not trying to make something financially normal for you it's just trying. Yeah. It's just trying to give you enough to because there's an embuggerance in your life because of this event or this thing. It it can never make it right. No, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But you know, a lot of PTSD in my mind. And man, correct me if I'm wrong. You deal with this stuff a lot more than I do with people, and you know, having suffered it yourself, and you and you see this day in day out. And I and I'm you know I'm sitting up here in my ivory fucking tower. But a lot of people with PTSD, I think, have probably got some sort of you know, separation anxiety disorder, some sort of, you know, because they are institutionalised as as I was, and I believed it was my army for a while there, just quietly, you know, and, yeah. and you know, well, you do when you when you grow up and you go, I'm going to join the army, you know, when you're ten, and then when you're seventeen, yeah. you're there, and then nineteen, you're in Somalia, and then you go on and become, go in the tactical assault group, and multiple tours of all these different countries and stuff. It feels like your army, and then suddenly when you realise you're not going to get what you want, and you throw all your bloody toys out of the pram and leave the friggin' army, it's not your army anymore. It never was your army, right? But um, and so I had I had some separation issues as well, you know, and, and I think finding trying to find relevance is 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 key but i think there's people that mistake those separation you know disorders that depression they 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 make that mistake of thinking they have a post traumatic stress when actually what they have is depression because they've left left an institution that looked after them and yep. psychologists and i'm not great i'm not big fans of anyway whatever psychologists yep. and i've got a so i've got one go back to lemon podcast four or five where i've got this the head of psychology saying oh we just put it all into pdsd because it's the only way we can get any help for these guys i was blown away he said that on a recording yeah if it's depression we just we just box it in there with pdsd like you are and go back and listen to it if anyone's listened to this and don't believe me go back and have a listen you know and i was but you know that for me it's it's like you know we're putting a band-aid on a bullet hole here so we need an intervention when people join the ADF, when they join, it's like, hey, you've joined. Now, guess what? This doesn't last forever. And here's, yeah, a, here's a strategy right. to make the most of it in the 10 years, in the 20 years, in the four years, five years that you're in. And let's set up a glide path there. And then we have more interventions as we go along. And I've actually put that to the uh, Minister for Defence that I'm happy to roll out. Not, and it's, an, it's not a not-for-profit. I don't believe, you know, not-for-profits are great, but this needs a business that's got people with PhDs in it you know, it needs to pay them and they need to be going in there and, and setting up initiatives to help people transition out of the ADF before they've even done day three or four. Yeah, no, you're, you're spot on. And that's exactly when I left the military. Like I I remember, um, God, we were starting to get, I can't remember what it was called, CPL or something, where they were giving uh, you civilian recognition for, for what you'd done. Mm. And I was, uh, like, a, my qualifications equivalent to a, a transport manager of a, of a compound like Toll, you know, th- those big road, road companies. And when I approached one of them for a position, they said, oh, you've got not, you don't have enough experience in the civilian sector. I said, mate, we drive on the civilian roads every day. What do you mean I don't have enough experience? So they, it was frowned upon and off I went. So 
I ended up going through like 15 jobs in the first year just trying to find something that, that I could do. And, and, and lo and behold, I found a job as a night fill manager for a supermarket and I started work at 8 o'clock at night and, and finished at 5 o'clock in the morning. So I had bugger all contact with people. Yeah. And that was just to, to, to make ends meet. So yeah. if you know the military had sort of had a, a transitioning program back in those days, you know, you could have successfully transitioned out and into a into a good position. Yeah. I know that due to what I do now, I'm aware there's a, there's a few great organisations that are specialising in doing this. But again, it's it needs a lot more work. You know, we're, we're sort of in the background tinkering with to see what we can we can do. Oh, look, if I if I was in a position to throw money at what you're doing, I'd throw money at it because I've never seen anyone put their life work into something the way you have. Not only that, you know, from everything I've heard from the side, it's like every cent goes into it. When I got that yeah. care pack you sent me, I opened it up, I was like, holy shit. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a business person. I understand margins and I understand yeah. what it takes to make something successful and to become rich off of it, right? And I look at that. Not that I am, but I look at that. I look at what you sent me, and I'm like, "Yeah, okay." Like, this guy's basically just giving me money. Like, there's no way in hell, you know, unless yeah. So it's amazing. I think what you're doing is amazing, and I hope that you get the the backing for it. Let's talk about Red Six. How's it work? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So basically, as I mentioned, it, it came from lived experience, and I said, "Look, I I really enjoyed the army, and when I left, I was lost, and I thought, I'm not the only one." No. And I said, there's got to be so more, many of my mates. And, of course, you know, we've got the uh, Are You OK Day once a year and we get the posts on Facebook saying, check on a mate, et cetera, et cetera. And I started to think, you know what, with the advancements of technology, there has to be something that we can do regardless of where you're situated in Australia and that's to provide some level of support. Mm. So Red Six came about, obviously, the, the name Red, International Colour for Danger, and Six is a term that we're all very familiar with these days, meaning I've got your back. Mm. I may have pinched that off an American movie two or three years ago, but it's something that stuck to me, and I love that concept. They pinched um, it from us, mate. It's all good. All right. I'll, I'll keep that then, Brian. Um, so, look, it's an easy, accessible app, which virtually, it gives you a virtual community of support. So every day you log on to this app, you've got a mood-setting button. Green thumbs up, you're in a good headspace. Amber, you're okay. Red, you're in a bad place, and you can do with some contact. And we've now linked in with a black button, which is a 24-hour trained professional counselling service who can talk to you over the phone, make an assessment on whether you need to be, uh, you need emergency services to attend your location and get you into some better care. And then obviously through that process, we can get you onto some programs. We can get your partners and your loved ones around you and your friends and show you that bit of extra support that you need. You know, there's a few other things coming on. There's going to be some addiction support. So people, you know, that, that are dealing with opiates, illicit substance, and alcohol, they can watch a training program and they can start following the steps to sort of better themselves. And as most of us are aware, you know, a lot of these people are heavily medicated and it's a circle. They get off the meds, they get back on the meds, they get off and they get back on them and, and things start to fall apart. So if we can provide a few little steps uh, and like a first aid training package, it will help. What I've been finding, obviously, one of the benefits with Red 6 is the back-end data. So when you join, you put in your name, you put in your postcode, you put in three battle buddies, and these are three friends, mates, wives. They could be your local barmate, anyone you want to reach, who, who, who you want to respond when you are in a down in, in a downward spiral. Mm-hmm. So basically, it sends them a direct alert. They hit a button and it calls you directly. Now, a lot of the times, and, and with my experience in dealing with a few people, they just want to vent and get a few things off their chest. Mm-hmm. They don't want you there to fix and mend their problems. They just want an ear to listen to. Yep. And this is what we provide. And what happens is we then network and I make you aware because the, the app works off your GPS. So you see people who are within 50 kilometres, 100 or 200 kilometres, depending on what level it's set at, uh, in your local area. So straight away, your support base is local veterans. Mm. Now, when I mention the word veterans, it's the current serving members of the Defence Force and also ex-military members. No, no civilians, no, no partners. They're down the track. We're looking at a families and partners version of this, which we're in talks with uh, a few organisations to fund. Uh, because we want to provide them with, a, with the same level of support. So what we do is we get the back-end data now, and, and every time you hit a mood setting, it electronically gets plotted onto a map of Australia. So then each month I go into the map and I have a look at areas that I can identify that have large gatherings of veterans under stress or at risk of self-harm, and that's purely because they've actually hit the red thumbs-down button. Yep. Now I then collaborate with other organisations and run a free awareness workshop 
which provides knowledge of local support services and products that are available to you locally. Yeah. Uh, we've got one coming up at Crumb and RSL uh, on the 25th of August. So I've collaborated with numerous organisations and said, listen, come on board. It's all free. Get a table, present your product to, to the punters as they come through and see if we can get them more aware of what you actually do to help people who are dealing, you know, being in a bad space. Yeah. Now, I, I launched version one September the 14th last year, and within two months, I nearly had 3,000 members join. Is that right? I thought, okay, and, and again, as you're aware, we're, we're such a small niche market veterans. You know, we don't have 21.3 million like America do. We have, I think, there's something like a figure of like 300,000 across the board. So it's not exactly a massive market for me, but for me, it was more about providing that support. Now, when I dealt with, uh, again, from lived experience, when I was dealing with, with myself at my lowest point, I withdrew and I was pushing friends who were offering help away. And I got on Facebook and looked at a few of these groups and a lot of it was just in-house fighting. Yeah. You know, if I got onto a DVA or RSL or, you know, uh, a Facebook page and said, oh, you know, I'm a transport guy dealing with PTSD, I'm going to get 50% say, mate, we understand, mate, you know, have you looked at this, have you looked at that? And then I'm going to get the 50% of people who are going to hate me mm. and they're going to grill me because I didn't carry a pack 24 mm. seven. I wasn't, you know, deployed to Afghanistan or Iraq. So mm. those type, that type of negativity makes you withdraw even further. So those support service that, services that you're trying to actually get, you never see. Mm. So the app, we're looking at creating more awareness to, to what's available to you when you need it. Mm. And it's working quite well. So I'm getting 200 people joined per, per week now. I launched version two in March, uh, end of March this year, purely based on the fact that I wasn't aware that it was going to be such a, a support tool that was going to be highly used by the military, mm. and it just took off. So I've got guys like, you know, from all walks of life, guys and girls. I've got commandos, I've got uh, SAS, you know, um, I've got pay clerks, I've got cooks, I've got transport, I've got infantry. I've got a lot of guys and girls who do use it because they can use it in the privacy of their own home. Yeah. They don't have to jump up and down and wave up and say there's something wrong with me. They can just simply push a button. Yeah. And what happens when they push that button? So you push a, if you push a, a red button, a direct alert goes out to the three battle buddies that you've programmed into the phone. So let's just say hypothetically, I, that's uh, pretty I cool. That, that means that that means that someone is because I'm as you've been talking, I've been registering. It's that fast. I just went onto your website and then I hit download app, and it's the app is there now on my phone. And I've just yep. put, I'm putting the patron saint for common sense. His phone number in as one of my battle buddies. You need just one battle buddy, but you you can have three, right? Yeah, probably best to have three. But the thing about this is, I'm doing all this while I'm in a pretty good headspace. Yep. Do you know what I mean? So at the moment, I'm yep. in a, I'm in a pretty good headspace, and I and I've got the, you know, and I know what's going on. I got you on there already, buddy. I'm about to prove you. There you go. So, so you're approved. So the thing with that, the thing with that is, when I'm not in a good headspace, it's a matter of just hitting that app and hitting the button. Yeah, it's like and, and, and again, Bram, it, it's it's lived experience. When I was at my darkest, I wasn't prepared to get on a computer, Google help, and then sit there and try and search for some sort of support. Oh wow, that's quick. Look at that done. And then with a the push of a button, so I had a I had an instant. Had one last night, a New Zealand veteran, no support from, from anyone, mm. and they went through to the, the local Overwatch. They went to Wounded Heroes. They went to No Duck, who's the, the New Zealand uh, support base, and he wasn't really getting the support that he wanted. So his brother rang me, and, and I got him onto the New Zealand consulate within within five minutes. And then they they said, "Look, we're here to support the guy. We've taken over now. We thank Mike and Red Six for." for making us aware of this guy. So it was all of the push of a button. Yeah. And this is what the whole concept is, you know. When you're in a good headspace, you know, get on and have a look at it because there's events, you know, there's catch-ups, there's a lot more stuff coming. Yeah. But when you're in a really bad headspace, you know, a push of a button, it's so bloody simple. Yeah. And as I was saying, I had an incident, and it was funny because this was a guy I met at a service station. I was going up to do an interview with a TV show called Blokes World Mm. on Wednesday or Thursday, and... I've got Red Six branded across my, my vehicle and I pulled in the survey to get a drink and there was a guy lingering around uh, the, the vehicle and um, he, he approached me and said, mate, what's all Red Six? What is this? And I had a bit of a chat to him and I explained it to him and, and you could see, look, he, he was case hardened. He, he, he'd seen it a, a bit and he said, look, I'm a little bit sceptical. And I said, well, look, what I'll do, mate, is I'll show you. So I hit the red button. 
And within three seconds, my first battle buddy called me. Mm. And as I'm talking to my battle buddy to explain to him, I said, look, I'm sorry, mate, I hit the button just to show someone. My other two battle buddies called me within, within 10 seconds. Do they need to be registered as well? No. Okay. No. Does something go out to them to register once their phone number's been captured by you? Not really because mm. it, it could be a barmaid, it could be a, your wife, it could be a, just a mate down the road. So it's just that level of support that you want. It's someone that you can trust that, that, that can reach out to you at a moment's notice. And what goes now, to them, an SMS? Just Yeah, they get an SMS with a direct link yep. and they click that button, that link, and up comes another big green button which they push and that directly links you two together. Yeah, right. So what's your – you had that guy on the service station – this is something I've yep. heard Phil Hughes St. Clair say to me a few times as an entrepreneur friend. Give me your – we've just got an elevator together and it's yep. going to go up about five floors. Sell me red six. <laughs> Sell you red six. Jesus, five floors. I'll hit the stop button. It might take me six floors. Um, it's a virtual support community, which is which will give you the support you need without a push of a button. Mm. Yep. And the guy will go, okay. And I'll say, right, well, and I, and I show them. So here's a great example. Have a look at this. You can go through the profile. So obviously you're going to see guys who are local to your community. Mm. And another good thing too is um, it reconnects you with your mates. Mm. So I had an example where one of my mates joined and he drove through the Gold Coast on his way up to Brisbane mm. and up popped his profile. Mm. And I hadn't seen this guy for 23 years. Wow. So I clicked on the button and sent Macca a, a message. He said, Macca, you bookhead. That's Casper. Let's catch up for a beer. So... We've got that, you know, that community support, virtual community support for you, mm. and also it's reconnecting guys and girls with friends who they may have lost contact with over over time. But it's all one on one. There's no group environment, so there's no gang mentality where people can gang up on each other. It's at the privacy of your own home. That's cool. You know, wherever you are, twenty four seven, you can't turn it off. Mm. Now, you know, I when I first started this, and, I, and I'll tell you, Bram, in the first week when it was just my wife and I, because uh, we self funded this thing to. It, Probably at a hundred thousand dollars now that we we borrowed from wow. from um, from family, and day one it saved saved one life, and we went. Worth that it. was my goal. I said if I could save one life, my job was done. Yeah. So day one we saved one life. Day three we're we're on the two or four, you know, two to four lives, and then it just started progressing. And then I thought to myself, shit, this this is very powerful. Mm. I need to step back and readdress some of the clinical aspects of the app mm. because obviously you know you're gonna, you're dealing with people at their worst, and what people have to remember when they're on the app is it's not about you. It's about your mate who's hit that button. He's there. So you could be in a bad place yourself, but you're not there to, to, to solve your problems. You're there to offer that ear for your mate. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a person who I follow on Instagram. Her name's Tara Hurster. She has the, I think it's the, the Tara Academy or ta- the Tara Clinic. And um, shout out to Tara. And she just pumps positivity into the world. She's a, psych, a psychologist and she deals with addiction disorders. Yep. She'd be amazing, I think, for you to hook up with to then have like an extra dimension to that for when someone's going to go off the rails. Maybe they've been, maybe, maybe they've parted their recovery from post traumatic stress or depression or something like that was to keep off the booze and they're about to have yep. a relapse and then they could perhaps press a button and be linked in with her clinic somehow. Um, yeah, no, I'd be, I'd be very interested to chat to her. Mate, we're also, I'm, I'm also chatting now with some guys in, in, in Perth and we're looking at providing a, a closed pin access uh, area for, for the Special Forces community. And what happens then is obviously the, the guys down at, at the, is it the Welfare Trust at, at, mm. at Swanbourne Barracks or something like that? They have the access to the back-end data from that. So they can then identify guys and girls, oh, guys mainly that, are dealing with some, some issues and then provide some additional support and get them before it gets too late. Mm. You know, so let's just say hypothetically, you know, someone was hitting the button, the red button every second day. Well then look, we need to sort of look at that mm. and see if we can get them into, into some program to sort of provide mm. some level of assistance. Mm. And again, you know, you know, being, being, um, you know, yourself being, being ex special forces, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a potential threat mm. to you guys. Mm. You know, you guys are a top dollar for, for someone who, who wants to uh, cause some harm or, or create a bit of media attention. So we've got to provide that level of security to guys like yourself. Mm. At the moment, what happens is when you register and join, it goes into a big database and then I look at it and I go through and make sure, one, you've provided enough proof of service because mm. I get the occasional bloke who puts on there, his name's Kamal, his email address is, you know, kamalsgreatesthits.com and, 
his pin, uh, his postcode to be one, two, three, four, five. He doesn't get in. Mm. And then I get other blokes who join that are probably are legitimate ex-serving members or current members of the Defence Force, and I'll just put in that they're they're in the army, and that's it. Mm. So then I'll email them and say, listen, I need you to provide a bit more proof of service. Mm. Your regimental number, you know, how many minimite pouches did you, did you carry on your on your equipment, or you know, just something that I, I would know. And, and generally, what I'm doing is I I ask them where they, their regimental number, and they they'll tell me that um. You know, it was one, two, three, four, five, six. And I say, oh, so you joined up in Tasmania. And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I go, well, mate, that first number that you've indicated, that you give me indicates that you were you joined in another state. So mm. I thank you for trying to join the app and I get them off. So I do provide a good or you, level of or service. Or you'll ask someone how many minimum pouches they carried and they would have been a machine gunner back in the 90s and they'll go, fucking all of them. Yeah. <laughs> and I gave my two, my number two, the rest of them. But, you know, you, it's like anything. You can't stop pedophiles from joining the church, can you? Apparently not. Yeah. So in the police force, there's mm. going to be guys who are mm. going to take advantage of what they do in the police force mm. for financial benefit. Mm. Now, with this type of app, it's the same thing. The environment that we live in these, these days, mm. there is a threat a threat to us. Mm. You know, um, so I've got to provide that level of security and also let the people know that, you know, this doesn't go to any third party. It's yeah. just husband and wife. Mm. Just a husband and wife team that's funded this due, due to experience mm. and all the data's kept you know, on a server. With us. We don't, mm. Yeah, we don't do anything with it. Uh, the only thing we do is we use that backend data to identify areas of larger gatherings of veterans under stress so we can collaborate and run workshops. Mm. That's purely it. And, like, I deal with, you know, the naysayers, uh, the people that are, you know, oh, I've got no battle buddies. And I said, well, mate, I've just looked at your Facebook page and the last post you put on, you got 13 likes. Mm. So you're telling me you couldn't ask one of those friends to be a battle buddy? Mm. And then they just, they just delete and, and run away. So mm. I always see it as a cry for more attention. I should just withdraw and not even deal with it. But because I've got so much, you know, my own money invested in this app, mm. I want to make sure that the message, the right message gets out there. So if you want to attack my app, be prepared that I will give you mm. enough evidence and reasons to join the app. Mm. But at the end of the day, it's up to you. And, and it's not for everyone. Mm. And, and this is what I've, I've come to learn. However, you might be that link that stops someone from giving in or giving up by just being on an app yeah. and seeing that red button and sending them a message. And and I remember on the first version of the app, in that first week when I had thousands of people joining, I was going, my God, what am I going to do here? I'm going to be up 24-7 trying to qualify all these um, new mm, members. Mm. But what happened was once I approved, so you can go in there and you can approve people that you know. So every now and again what you do is when you get on the app, and you have a look through the app, you go into the profiles and on the top left-hand corner, there's a little tick mm. and you click on that and that's all profiles that are pending approval. Mm. So if you know the guy, well, then you just, uh, you let him join join the app. Yeah, that's cool. That's yeah. a good way to do it. Mm. Sort of well, uh, crowd, crowdsourcing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm not going to know, and this is one of the things, like it's tri-service. Mm. It's Navy, it's mm. Air Force, and it's Army. And the figures are, look, it's probably you know, 60% Army, 30% Navy, and 10% Air Force that have joined, mm. but I don't know half of those units. Mm. You know, if someone comes up with a, with a unit that I don't know about, we've got a little device in there which I then send out and, and ask, you know, and I, and I research to make sure it's a legitimate unit mm. and then sit there or I'll ask someone to, to, to approve him, uh, have you, who knows him. And- have you approached some of the universities and stuff like that to give them a closed version of this for the unis? Because, that, mate, I can see a lot of potential with this. I went to um, Gallipoli Medical Research in Brisbane and presented some of the data to them. So, as you can imagine, we're, we're now. No, no, sorry, like I mean, four. I mean, I mean the app as their app for, for because you know we, we worry about veteran suicide. The fact of the matter is that suicides in universities, no one talks about it, and it's absolutely rife. You know, and yep. so a closed app for say Curtin University, it's a closed app, and it's just just univer- You know, they get it when they sign up to uni; they get access to a the Curtin Red Six app. You know, and then I ne- never thought of it, but I have thought about um, sitting on a gold mine, mate. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the police, you know, the police are an old service, fireys and ambos. So uh, the, the the five year plan for me with this app was to grow mm. the Red Six community purely for the military, mm. and then in the next twelve months provide something similar to the families and partners of app uh, of veterans, mm. and that again that's separate because obviously you know. If you see your partner posting things about you, mm. it may accelerate your condition. So we keep those two separate. Yeah. And as we know from experience, you know, people separate and and, and we don't want to cause more conflict or, or accelerate the, the people's condition. So we're, we're going to provide a, a separate portal. But 
when I sat down one day, because I used to work for Prosica as an armed guard, mm. and I was sitting in a van one day, and I thought, you know what, this thing is kicking off quite well. I'm getting people joining. And when I do expos and conferences, I get a lot of other organizations asking me, what about us? Yeah. And when I explained to them, I said, listen, I, I funded this. You know, I've got no funding from anyone to this date except for a local pub up here who ran a, a day where the money they spent on a certain beer, they gave it to me. And with that money, I ended up flying over to New Zealand and presenting it to the guys in New Zealand because they yeah. had no... No oh, mate, as far as I can see here, you know, it's you've you're helping solve a problem for us for the ADF, which I think is great. Take this whole construct that you've created; it's a funnel type system, and then go and go and talk to people with money, and you know, or go on Shark Tank, like <laughs> do something because so, there's so, so many, many people said it to me, and I went, "Those buggers will make money and give me nothing back." Well, they, maybe maybe not, mate. mate don't don't be don't be too skeptical because yeah. the thing that you've got going for you is you've shown proof of concept and you've saved lives with it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's amazing, mate. You've what, done we're fantastic find, what, what we're looking that's what I remember was that the, the, the five year plan. So we're, we're going to make so red six is purely for the military. There'll be things like blue six for the police. Mm. There'll be ambos, fire, etc. So when you join, depending on what industry you're actually in you can click on your portal and get that access. So red six, or as it's known now as six, will come will become synonymous with mental illness support, you know, Australia-wide. And then we'll launch into, we've got New Zealand, America coming up, uh, UK and Canada. Mm. Okay. No dramas. Mate, I think it's amazing. Where can people find out more about it? Mate, obviously the website, uh, www.red6.com.au. If you go into Apple Store or Google Play, just search for six with an asterisk and you can download the app. And as you just did, you can go on the website and download it straight from there. And I did it before you'd even finished that paragraph. And on Instagram? Yep, red6 underscore app and Facebook red6 as well. And what events you got coming up? 25th of August, we have the Karamban RSL. We're putting together an awareness and support free expo for veterans and their partners locally in the area. And that's the Gold Coast of Brisbane. They can come down and see what services are available to support 21st to the 23rd of august i'm up at i think it's maruchidor for the fearless conference mm. presenting red six up there to nationally and at the moment we're talking with a great organization uh called veteran health association we run a, a fitness program mm. and, and we're looking at sort of partnering in some capacity mm. to help get funding because there's so much more of this app that we want to add to it yeah. And these guys can see the potential and they want to help out as much as they can mm. with, the, with the same aim of, of, of helping, you know, providing that support that, that, that we need. Okay. Red 6 app. I think it's awesome. Michael Handley, I think you're awesome. Well done. Good work. Appreciate it, Bram. Love your work too, brother. All right. Keep safe. No worries. Righto. That's a wrap for this week's show. Just a shout out to the soldiers and officers of the 1st Battalion, the Royal Australian Regiment, the big blue one. I'm glad to have been able to talk to a few guests now about Somalia. It was an important part of my own life, growing up in the battalion, deploying as a 19-year-old. That's an important part of who I am today. And it's an important part of the unit's history too. Not me going to Somalia with them, but Somalia itself. Righto. Some of the podcasts that I've listened to this week include The Man That Can Project, the creation of Lockie Stewart. Go and give that one a listen. And also I've been listening to Andy Frisella, the MF CEO Project. Uh, Go and check that out. It's actually really good. Okay, and remember, live a life worth living. Catch you later. This week's episode is sponsored by S.W.O.R.D., Special Operations Research and Development. So, I should say up front that I know the founder of S.W.O.R.D. We were in the tactical assault group together. In fact, we were in the same team during our CT training. And in the years that followed, much of the load-carrying equipment that I trusted in some of the harshest places on Earth was supplied by S.W.O.R.D. It's no stretch to say that this equipment is built by operators for operators. Actually, come to think of it, my first ever plate carrier was sword. And at one stage, probably every piece of field kit that I carried had been purchased either by myself or the unit. Check out the website. And by using the code WARRIOR, you can receive 10% off the listed price on any item. That's 10% off just by using the code WARRIOR. Righto, let me just wrap a few things up. Before I go, I just want to let you know that I'm teamed up with Patreon. This is so that you can donate assistance to the podcast. Obviously, putting all this together each week does come at a financial and a time cost. 
If you'd like to support the podcast, you can head to www.patreon.com forward slash warrior you and you can throw in whatever you feel like. It's greatly appreciated. And there are some cool giveaways on the site too for different tiers of sponsorship. So please check it out. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.